Welcome to Impact AI, brought to you by Pixel Scientia Labs. I'm your host, Heather Couture. On this podcast, I interview innovators and entrepreneurs about building a mission-driven, machine-learning-powered company. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my newsletter to be notified about new episodes. Plus, follow the latest research in computer vision for people in planetary health. You can sign up at pixelscientia.com newsletter. Today, I'm joined by guest Guru Banavar, founding CTO and head of Discovery AI at Viome, to talk about the human microbiome. Guru, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Heather. Thank you. Guru, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to create Viome? Absolutely. So I have been in the field of AI since I would say maybe the late 80s. And so um, long term commitment to the field. And I've seen the ups and downs in the field, the winters and the springs and the resurgence and so on. And after my PhD, I joined IBM Research uh, in the mid 90s and had a lot of very interesting analytics oriented projects. Uh, also distributed systems-oriented projects. But I eventually found myself to be the VP, the founding VP of the AI group at IBM Research. This was in the sort of the late 2000s, early 2010s, when there was a pretty interesting turn of events at IBM where we decided that we would invest in creating the next generation of AI systems, which many people now know as Watson. And of course, the project that got Watson into the limelight was the Jeopardy Watson system, which, you know, at the time, of course, there was a large group of people who were very much involved in that project. And 2011, there was the breakthrough Jeopardy live show where the machine beat the world champions on a very difficult and natural language processing based system. So that was kind of the launch of a very important, I would say, business initiative at IBM, which I ended up leading. And there was a ton of interesting verticals, but a ton of horizontal technologies that was built as part of that project and follow on, which I was part of. And one of the verticals, in that set of activities was in the area of life sciences and healthcare. And it turns out, you know, computational biology, which was sort of a long-running, long-term field, ended up sort of merging into AI, if you will, and applied to specifically to healthcare and life sciences. So over the first few years of my tenure as an AI leader at IBM Watson, I literally fell in love with the field of computational biology and AI put together. And at some point in time, I decided that the impact that I wanted to make in that field of computational biology and uh, life sciences and healthcare can be done only if I join a few of my friends from the broader community and start a new company, which you know we did in at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, we started Viome. That's how I got to Viome. I jumped ship from IBM and I said, this is the right way to solve the really complex and probably one of the defining problems of the 21st century, which is chronic disease. And so I decided that we need to build 
Viome from the ground up as an AI company, because biology at the end of the day, you know, is super complicated and it is very much a, an information science as much as it is a biological science or life science. It is an information science. We need data and AI as a critical part of the infrastructure that is needed to solve the big problems of biology, life science, chronic diseases, and so on. So that was my motivation for jumping ship. And, you know, over the last six or seven years, we have made a ton of progress and we have, I believe, created sort of a new paradigm for addressing the big problems of healthcare and life sciences. So what does Viome do and, and why is this so important for chronic disease? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, you know, chronic diseases are the majority of the diseases that we face as humanity today, right? In the whole world, you know, every other person you might meet has some kind of chronic disease, whether it's a metabolic disease or a, you know, gastrointestinal or digestive issue, or it's an immune system issue, cardiovascular, mental health, all of these are chronic diseases. You know, acute problems are very well set up to be handled by the traditional healthcare system. But this chronic disease, which is, you know, maybe 70, 80% of all of the diseases that we face is not handled very well by the traditional healthcare system. So, we need a different way of thinking about it. You know, the traditional healthcare system is focused on infectious diseases from the past century, you know, the antibiotics and, you know, all of those things. Then, of course, acute problems like trauma, for example, you know, you need surgery, you need other kinds of very immediate, you know, solutions to problems. Those are the kinds of things that traditional healthcare is set up. But in order to address chronic disease, you need to look at the very long term. You need to look at decades, not, not even years. You need to look at decades of somebody's life. And the modern lifestyle has brought us to a point where there's an overabundance of, you know, a lot of things, right? There's, there's a lot of food, so there's, you know, an extra amount of calories. And probably the standard American diet is really bad at helping us maintain our health. And then there is a lot of stress. There's very little sleep. There's all kinds of issues that are kind of conspiring to create a set of chronic diseases, like I mentioned before, that can only be addressed if you take a long-term preventative lifestyle-oriented approach and you dig deep into the molecular biology of individuals, right? It's not going to be enough if you just look at the symptoms because many of these chronic diseases don't have symptoms externally. You need to look deep inside and you need to see what's going on at the molecular level. So that's one of the starting points for Viome. So when we say molecular insights, which is what we provide at Viome, we are specifically looking at RNA, meaning gene expression, not DNA, right? DNA is just your genome and all the genes that you were born with, and you'll probably die with. It's the same set of genes that you have. And there may be some slight modifications, but there's a lot of repair mechanisms that are constantly fixing it. But RNA which is maybe you know, a few tenths of percent of your genome that gets expressed, is changing constantly depending on your lifestyle. You know, when you eat a meal, when you get stressed, when you travel, when you, you know, do an exercise, each one of those activities, in fact, 
creates a different set of genes that get expressed. So what we decided at Bio was we would measure and we would analyze these expressed genes, which is RNA molecules. And you know, it's not easy to measure and analyze RNA molecules for a number of reasons. One of them is that RNA is a fundamentally, you know, you know, not a long-term stable molecule. So you need to you need to capture it, preserve it, and you need to analyze it, you know, keeping in mind that there's going to be all of these issues in the collection phase, which we've already solved. We can preserve a RNA, you know, based sample for 28 days. And we've published papers about this. And once you sequence that data, you end up getting a very different type of data set compared to a, a gen, general genomic DNA data set. Even when you look at metagenomics, you get the full set of genomes of all of the organisms, not just the human organism, but also all of the microbial organisms. And you know that's an important element of being human. You have a lot of microbes living inside of you and on top of you, in your gut, in your mouth, in on your skin, everywhere in your body, you have microbes living on you and inside you. And we need to be able to capture the activities, meaning the gene expression of the microbes themselves, not only the human gene expression, but also the microbial gene expression, because the microbes and the humans are constantly sort of interacting with each other to you know, metabolize a lot of the things that are going on in our body, not just the food. You know, when you eat your food, the first set of organisms that process the food of them are your microbes, right? Your microbiome in your gut. And then the metabolites and the proteins that come out of that whole process are somehow metabolized and digested by the human system and then gets into your bloodstream and gets into the rest of your body and so on. So understanding that whole molecular biology of RNA is a very big part of what we do in bio. And, you know, one last part I would say is the business model that we set up for Biome is also tremendously new. It is a direct-to-consumer business model. That's how we started. And we've collected a lot of data from our customers. You know, our customers get an app. They send us samples from their home, whether it's a stool sample, a blood sample, a saliva sample, send us samples from home. They get a kit at home and they purchase a, you know, a solution from us, which we are an e-commerce company, basically. So when they send us the sample, we process it. We send them back molecular insight. We send them back recommendations for food, for lifestyle, for supplements and everything else. And that process of getting data from customers also helps us do the R&D and the product innovation that we need to create. So we have this massive data set. We have a product and R&D innovation flywheel. That business model has also now reached a level of maturity that we have almost 600,000 samples from more than 100 countries now around the world. So that's a massive data set. And they, that data set helps us discover lots of interesting and very insightful new biological phenomena, biomarkers, targets, pathways, and so on and so forth, which I'm happy to talk about when we look at this really massive data set, along with their phenotypes, meaning all of the symptoms, the lifestyle, the demographics, their diets, their medications. We get all of that data. So that's the metadata and the molecular data is the base data. And we are able to combine the two to create a ton of insights that can be used for delivering value to customers through food recommendations and supplement recommendations and, and other things.
So how do you use machine learning here? How do you turn RNA data into insights for your customers? Yeah. So Heather, you know, I am one of those AI people who believes that you first focus on the problem and you bring all of the tools you need in order to solve the problem. So AI to me is not just one thing, like the latest buzzword, like generative AI or something like that. For me, AI is an ML is a set of tools and you take the right tool for the right problem. And in the case of the problem that we have focused on, which is to address chronic disease, it turns out that you really need to focus on the full range of AI and machine learning tool set. So we use knowledge-driven or model-driven techniques. We also use data-driven techniques. So for example, we use a ton of domain knowledge captured as ontologies, and then we process it through reasoning algorithms of different types and optimization algorithms. So that's one part of the tool set. We also use sort of the classic supervised and unsupervised types of machine learning for our molecular data. Because remember, we have the phenotypes, which is the metadata for our molecular data. So we can use supervised learning for you know, differentiating between disease cohort versus a healthy cohort for any disease, right? We have dozens of diseases for which we have analyzed the differences in the molecular data between a disease cohort and a healthy cohort. We also use a lot of unsupervised techniques, you know, clustering and, you know, various types of, you know, analysis techniques for, you know, using unsupervised learning has helped us to learn about molecular or biological pathways. And now, of course, in the last few years, there's been a ton of progress with the new architectures that have, you know, helped the world of generative AI take off. The transformer architecture, which of course, you know, there's one set of basic ideas, but we also use, you know, potentially variants of the transformer architecture to apply that to molecular data. And applying you know, something like transformers, you know, not just to language, which we also do, by the way, we can, you know, we can learn from the written down knowledge of the field of biology using our large language models. But we are also now exploring how to use our massive molecular data set to train transformer-based models. So that whole range, so everything from, you know, I said knowledge-driven, model-driven, data-driven, generative AI, that entire set of AI and machine learning tools are applied in this context of solving the problem and providing value to customers. What kinds of challenges do you encounter in working with this RNA data and you know, the large data set that you've collected from customers? And what, in particular, what challenges do you encounter in training models based off of it? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I want to you know, make sure that everyone understands that molecular data is super high dimensional data. You can imagine, you know, millions of features in a given sample. In order to understand why that's the case, you know, when you when we collect a sample and when we get the output of a sequencer, you know, after the RNA molecules have been uh, detected, the first set of raw data that we get are, you know, known as reads. And that could be in the tens of millions of reads which then need to be bioinformatically interpreted or compressed, if you want to think of it like that, into all of the transcripts, meaning the genes that are expressed within the human organism as well as the microbial organisms. 
Of course, we also detect the genomes of these organisms, meaning that you need to, you know, one of the algorithms that we use is called alignment in bioinformatics, right? You take every one of these reads, which could be a few hundred nucleotides long, and align them to either genes or genomes that are maintained in large catalogs. And that's a massively complicated algorithm that requires a ton of, you know, technological innovation, including performance and cost and so on and so forth on the cloud, you know, data pipelines and so forth. So we do all of that. And then we try to interpret, even after getting the genes and genomes, we are looking at millions of features in a single sample. And let alone the number of samples we have, which is, you know, millions of samples themselves, right? So and then we look at how to interpret the pathways from those expressed genes. And that requires a level of domain expertise and domain knowledge. So you understand what kinds of molecules and enzymes, for example, are interacting with what other kinds of molecules to produce a certain metabolite. For example, if you want to see how short-chain fatty acids are produced in your gut through the gut microbiome from, you know, starting from, let's say, complex carbohydrates, you know, fibers that are, you know, that it goes through maybe about 10 or 15 steps in the biochemistry of these complex carbohydrates before it gets turned into short chain fatty acids, which are metabolized that are very good for anti-inflammatory properties in your gut. So understanding those pathways requires both domain knowledge as well as multiple types of machine learning in order to understand the pathways. And then finally, you look at the phenotypes, right? You look at people's symptoms, people's lifestyles and you know medications and so forth. And you're you're able to then figure out, you know, what are the pathways that are active in people who have metabolic disease or who have autoimmune diseases or mental health diseases, for example, serotonin or GABA or one of those, you know, important uh, molecules in the body. So those are the kinds of problems that you want to solve in order to address chronic disease. And, you know, if you just look at sort of hardcore, you know, machine learning lens, there are a number of unique issues, right? For example, when you look at uh, gene expression data, when you look at, you know, large, uh, very high dimensional molecular data, especially with the microbiome, there's a problem called compositionality, which is that you don't want to look at absolute, you know, values, absolute levels of expression when you're quantifying the expression of genes, for example, but instead you want to look at the relative activity across a single sample, meaning all the features across a single sample versus across the multiple samples. So when you look at all of those data, let's say analysis problems, it is actually a pretty, you know, difficult data set. And then finally, I want to say we do a lot of very classic scientific methods, like when you're looking at a group of people with a disease versus a group of people without that disease, you have to be super careful because you're applying, you know, the fundamental scientific method and you have a hypothesis or sometimes you don't have a hypothesis, right? Both cases are true. You can just do data-driven experiments where you want to control for confounders of different types between the two groups. And when you control for confounders and you know, ideally, of course, we would do a, a randomized control trial, even within the data set that we do. But even when you're not able to do randomized control trials, you do observational retrospective analysis, you want to control for confounders. So we apply all of those techniques from classic, you know, epidemiology and causal inference 
in order to understand what are the drivers of the molecular pathways for a given disease. So those are the spectrum of problems. It's not just a, you know, a tech problem. This is a science and a tech problem because you need to understand both the scientific part, the technological part, and the eventual application that needs to be interpretable and that needs to be explained. In, in the beginning, you know, we are explaining it to, you know, the common users. You know, these are direct-to-consumer type of applications we are talking about. So we need to be able to translate all of this complex technology and science into understandable consumer level information. So that's itself a challenge. So all of these are the types of challenges that we have in understanding molecular biology and connecting that to chronic disease and then making something useful for our customers, such as, you know, here are the foods that you should eat more of. Here are the foods that you should not eat. So let me, I can take a minute to explain what that means, but you know, that's the set of challenges we have. Those are a number of areas of expertise that really are important. And it's not, like you said, it's not just the machine learning. All of this has to come together in order to train useful models and make something that's useful for the end user. Yeah. How does your team plan and develop a new machine learning product or feature? In particular, what are some of the early steps you take in that process? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, you know, I want to say that we have an entire stack, a molecular technology stack, so to speak, you know, from the bottom to top. At the very bottom of the stack, we have laboratory technologies where we figure out how to process the samples and turn the physical molecules into digital information, the reads and the sequences and the genes and genomes that can be then digitally processed. So that is a fundamental data generation layer that is absolutely critical. Then the next level up is a, a molecular analysis uh, layer, which includes the bioinformatics I talked about earlier. And that requires a lot of very complicated scaling and accuracy issues and so on. But it also includes the pathway analysis, the biomarker detection, the target identification, those kinds of techniques in that second layer. And in the third layer, we have a number of different models. We have engines, we have ontologies, we have even clinical research drivers, like we could recruit people that come to Viome and, and you know, consented to join one of our clinical studies or clinical trials that are going on. All of these layers are important to keep in mind when I talk about how we, you know, plan out our machine learning projects and how we do the early phases and so on. So we usually start with the health or life science challenge that we're trying to address. As an example, if, for example, we see that we need to learn how to address sleep disorders in our in our customer population, right? So, you know, when people join Biome, we ask them a number of questions. For example, we ask them, what was your goal? What was your reason for joining Biome? And then we ask things like, you know, what are your top issues? And, you know, we see that a lot of people have metabolic issues, meaning, you know, weight gain or some other issue now with their metabolism. But a number of people in the, in the, I would say in the top five, you also see something like sleep issues, right? People are not able to sleep well, whether it's insomnia or sleep apnea, or whatever reason it is, people don't have, you know, a great night of sleep. So if we see that in our consumer questionnaires, then we decide that, yes, we need to focus on that problem. Now, when you focus on the sleep problem, there's a lot of 
existing data that you can analyze, you know, because we have maybe tens of thousands of people who have already told us that they have sleep issues. So the, one of the first things we can do is literally isolate the group of people that have told us that they have sleep problems and then compare that group of people with people who've told us that they don't have sleep issues, meaning they sleep really well at night. So one of the first steps we would want to do in that case is to understand the differences in the gene expression in the gut through the stool samples that we get, in the blood, which is the blood samples that we get. It's a finger prick blood sample. So people, you know, have sent us their human transcripts and their microbial transcripts through those two samples. We can understand the difference between people who have sleep problems versus people who don't have sleep problems, right? That is a good starting point for us. And in order to appreciate how difficult just that kind of a simple analysis is, again, think about the high dimensional data set we are talking about, right? Now you have these two groups and you have to figure out what are the critical molecular pathways that are different between these two groups. And in order to do that, you need to apply a number of different tools that I mentioned earlier, right? A simple one would be, you know, all of the data curation and cleaning work that you need to do for the molecular data itself. And then you start focusing on, you know, what kinds of pathways are expressed in the people with sleep issues and the people without sleep issues. And in order to figure out what pathways are expressed, there's there's a number of standardized, you know, annotation database, like for example, the Kyoto Encyclopedia of Genes and Genomes, the KEG database has a lot of domain data about different pathways that are already identified by a lot of the scientific community. So we basically go through the KEG catalog and we figure out which of those pathways are expressed in the people with the sleep problems, the people without the sleep problems, right? And then you get to a, you know, maybe a, a reasonably a low dimensional data set that you can meaningfully analyze and interpret and say, okay, you know what? These are the issues that are, are problematic in the people with uh, sleep issues. And, you know, we have a clinical research team, we have a biomedical team, and we also get to them and we start asking questions about what are the ingredients in food and medications that could be impacting those pathways. That's a little bit downstream from the machine learning work, but the machine learning work has to produce interpretable information such that our clinical research and our clinical nutrition team is able to understand and figure out what kinds of molecular substrates in nutrition could be impacting these pathways, right? So that's sort of the set of things that, that we think about when we want to solve a problem. And so it's very much problem-driven. That's kind of how I want to summarize uh, the whole thing. But it requires a ton of not just horizontal AI machine learning technologies, but it requires a significant amount of domain knowledge in order to be able to narrow the problem to things that matter. We're not at a, at a place where we can simply have emergent, you know, AI-driven insights like we have in the case of maybe some of the generative technologies. We're not there yet. We will probably get there in the next few years, maybe in the next, you know, five years, maybe maybe later, I don't know, but we're not there yet. So until that happens, there is a lot of scientific knowledge that exists in the domain that needs to be leveraged in order to be able to um, narrow this problem into something that we can we can solve today for our customers.
Yeah, that d- domain knowledge is essential. And, and I see that for applications across healthcare and even you know to climate change and to agriculture and different spaces like that when you're into a niche and trying to solve a very impactful problem. Yeah, that domain knowledge becomes very critical. Agreed. Agreed. Are there any specific technological advancements that made it possible to build your technology now? Wouldn't it have been feasible even a few years ago? Yeah, I would say that I'm going to interpret the word technology very broadly here. Okay, I'm not just going to talk about digital technologies. I'm also going to talk about laboratory technologies. So we essentially invented and scaled a few laboratory technologies. And we also invented and scaled a few digital technologies in order to create the molecular technology stack that I talked about earlier on. So one of our core intellectual property elements is the meta-transcriptomic laboratory technology, which essentially isolates, detects, and processes the what we call the informative RNA molecules in any given sample. And that required a number of sort of biochemistry level technology breakthroughs. And eventually the processing breakthroughs involved things like, you know, minimizing what we call sample to sample crosstalk, figuring out how to remove the non-informative molecules in a sample, and also improving the accuracy of this whole methodology way beyond, you know, I'm talking about 10,000 times better than other existing technologies out there in the world of sequencing in the previous generation. So our generation, which is, I maintain our lab technology is the absolute latest generation and 99% or more of the entire healthcare life sciences industry is still in the previous generation or two generations ago. So in our latest generation, which we have many patents on, we have figured out how to scale that to the point where it can be available as a consumer product. It, you know, if you just go to a research center to get the same laboratory processing done, it'll cost you 10 times more. And it'll be, you know, maybe thousands of times less accurate, right? So that's the first set of breakthroughs that we have to make in the laboratory technology space. On the digital side, just getting the bioinformatics to work on these massive dimensional data sets and do the alignment and do it at a cost point that is not you know going to break the bank took a lot of work so we've come up with algorithmic improvements and you know I'd call them some know-how and how to you know pull together a stack and a pipeline of data and algorithms together that enables a very optimized, efficient way to scale this to the point where we've now reduced the cost and the time taken by an order of magnitude over the last few years. There's also some new recommendation type technologies that uses molecular data and food ontologies that together create the kinds of both precision food and precision supplements that we are able to manufacture for each customer of Viome. When a customer comes to Viome, we send them precision supplements that is made for each individual. It's not made for a big group of people, it's for you and you alone, based on all the pathways and all of the molecular patterns we see in your gut and your mouth, in your blood and so on. So all of those things required a suite of algorithmic improvements and scaling 
and you know bringing down the cost to the point where this can actually be uh, sold at a you know consumer product level. So those are the kinds of things that I would bring to the fore. Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups? Yeah. You know, in general, if I kind of step back from all of the work we've done, my first piece of advice would be focus on the problem, right? I mean, don't just pick up a solution that exists out there like a technology and then, you know, make that a hammer and go looking for nails and everything might start looking like nails and you start applying and you figure out that it doesn't really work, right? In our case, what we ended up doing was we focused on a problem that was massive and that the entire world was taking, in my opinion, the wrong approach. You know, the basic big healthcare system was broken because they were focused on acute and infectious type um, diseases, not on chronic disease, right? That's a big, huge problem right there. And, you know, it, it impacts, you know, such a large part of the global population that that is one of the biggest problems of the 21st century, so to speak, right? So start with the big problems. When you figure out, you know, what kinds of applications can address that big problem, you look at the tool set you have in mind and you pull out the tools that are necessary to solve that problem. And of course, along the way, you'd have to innovate quite a lot, right? I mean, there's a lot of tech hype. There's a lot of AI hype that happens. And, you know, a lot of people kind of try to sell every new hyped up technology as the solution to everything. And, you know, I've learned that that is definitely not the case. And I would, you know, advise other leaders of AI powered startups to be very careful about how you pick your solution tool set based upon the problem that you want to solve. And so that's kind of my biggest advice. Now, if you look at a healthcare and life science space, there's a lot of other issues, which is, you know, a lot of the science, a lot of the data that's out there is really poor quality. The studies are not very well designed. They're usually very low powered. And there's a lot of hypotheses that are kind of, you know, going around with, you know, very little, you know, additional validation, but people kind of somehow propagate it, you know, almost they become almost myths, right? And it just becomes something so widespread that it's difficult to get out of it. So I would question the fundamentals, you know, if, if possible. If you're in a science-based domain, I would question some of the fundamentals and, you know, try to address those fundamentals using the latest available technologies and the available data and science. So those are my two things. Focus on the problem, question the basics. And finally, where do you see the impact of Viome in three to five years? Oh, Okay. I would love for us to be able to create a new model of healthcare to handle the chronic disease epidemic in a few years. Okay, so, and what that means to me is that we need to be able to address these longer time horizon issues, which can only be done at home. You know, these are lifestyle factors. You cannot ask somebody to keep going to a hospital or a clinic for chronic diseases, because this happens every single day in your life when you make the decision of what to eat, where to go, you know, how stressed, how much you sleep, how much you exercise, all of those are the things that make a difference to your chronic health, right? From chronic disease, I think we need to turn it into chronic health. So that starts at home and it has to be preventative, right? It's not the usual, you know, system thing today of, you know, solving the problem when the heart attack happens, right? And you extend somebody's life by another 10 years, but they have such a poor quality of life for those last 10 years. 
So what if you could look ahead, you know, a few decades before cardiovascular disease starts and you figure out how to prevent it and how to manage it in such a way that you are, you know, you have a health span that is the same as your lifespan, meaning that you're healthy and you have a great quality of life until the time that you die. And, you know, the time that you die is going to be extended by quite a bit compared to what you normally would have if you hadn't done this new model of healthcare. And finally, I think this new model of healthcare is continuous, right? This is not just going to be like a one-shot thing. It becomes part of life. It becomes like, you know, a coach, a friend, angel on your shoulder, so to speak, that is constantly with you, with, with the technologies we have, who's helping you. You know, the technology of the AI is helping you live your life in such a way that you can prevent chronic disease, you can have the best life has to offer, you have a high quality of life for the longest period of time possible. That's where I would see the impact of my own. And if that happens in the next three to five years, I'd be the happiest guy on, you know, on the planet. This has been great. Guru, I appreciate your insights today. I think this will be valuable to many listeners. Where can people find out more about you online? Well, check me out on LinkedIn. My last name is Bonavar, B-A-N-A-V-A-R. And first name is Guruda, G-U-R-U-D-U-T-H. That should be easy to find. And also, of course, if you check out our uh, company uh, website, Viome, V-I-O-M-E.com, you can see the solutions we have available today. We also have a number of blogs where we put out all the science and the technology we develop. So you can check that out as well. And finally, of course, uh, if you want to follow or tweet to me or to us at Viome, feel free to do so, and we will be happy to connect with you and respond. Thank you very much. Perfect. I'll link to those in the show notes. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Heather. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI. Thank you for listening to Impact AI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to learn more about computer vision applications for people and planetary health, you can sign up for my newsletter at pixelscientia.com newsletter.